Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. We have no choice. We have no choice. One Nation Under Pod. Hello and welcome to Civil Fights. I'm Jamie Lynn Crofts and I'm the legal director for the ACLU of West Virginia. Here again with Noah Brzezinski. Noah just got back from vacation abroad. How was it? It was amazing. It it was great and I think a little topical for what we're going to be discussing today. I was in the UK and spent a lot of time in and out of airports going through uh, immigration and customs. Did you have any problems? I, you know, it's funny. I think I kind of did. So on my way into England, the man who checked my passport, I don't think quite believed me that I was in town to watch a cricket match. Uh, <laughs> with, with my American passport, he kind of gave me this weird look. And it's interesting because he himself was Sikh. He was he was wearing a Sikh head, uh, headgear. And he was... Um, he asked me a bunch of follow-up questions about what I was doing, and it, it was interesting. It was an interesting dynamic. I, I wondered uh, if I, I wondered what he thought I was doing, or if if he thought I was just messing with him. But no, I really didn't have any problems when I came back into the United States. Uh, it's interesting as an American citizen, familiar with how these things work. I hurried along and passed a lot of people in line, went immediately to this new fancy kiosk, scanned in my passport, got ushered over to the side of the room where American citizens were lining up. And I think I got out probably over an hour before the other people who were on my plane, just by the nature of having a blue passport as opposed to a red one. Yeah, very interesting. Well, uh, I'm glad to have you back here stateside so we can chat about some of the goings-on in the world. Yeah, I am glad to be back, and I'm really excited to talk today about Donald Trump's Muslim ban. So what we've decided to do today is talk about the history of the executive order and its current posture legally. What we're not really going to do is talk about the civil rights which are affected by preventing an entire religion from entering into the country, because I think it's important to discuss first what we're dealing with here in a legal framework. We can talk more about the civil rights aspect of it later, and I think we definitely will. We're going to be interviewing some people with some strong opinions about that. But today, I thought we would just go through the history of Donald Trump's Muslim ban and how we got to where we are today. If there's anyone listening to this who is from one of these countries and concerned about traveling, there's an email address you can use to get in touch with some lawyers who will uh, take a look at what's going on and see if there's any way they can help you, tell you if you are covered by the ban and all of those types of things. That email is airport, A-I-R-P-O-R-T, at refugee rights. R-E-F-U-G-E-E-R-I-G-H-T-S dot org. 
All right, so let's get to it. This is One Nation Under Pod. All right, so Jamie, start us off. What is the Muslim ban? Okay, so the Muslim ban is an executive order that was entered by Donald Trump that at this point is in its second form. So Muslim ban 1.0 is the one that was entered last January, and that was the one that really created chaos at airports. Um, There were all the protests outside of airports. That was all after Muslim ban 1.0 went into effect. And now this is something that he signed very soon after he was inaugurated. He took the oath of office and then put pen to paper, right? Yes, it was very quick. So it's my understanding that uh, Muslim ban 1.0, it's what Donald Trump signed very soon after being inaugurated. He takes the oath of office and he immediately signs this thing. It's battled back and forth throughout courts across the country. And then finally, in June of this year, about a month ago, we get Muslim Ban 2.0, right? That's right. And Muslim Ban 2.0 was largely the same, but there were a few key ways that it was different. So in the initial executive order, there were seven countries that were targeted. And in 2.0, there were only six countries that were targeted. Iraq was taken off the list of targeted countries. And so what we have with Muslim Ban 2.0 is a 90-day suspension for nationals from six targeted countries, Iran, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen and also a 120-day suspension of the U.S. Refugee Admission Program and a cap on the number of refugees admitted to the U.S. this year at 50,000. So recently, the U.S. Supreme Court got involved and decided it was finally time to weigh in. What did the U.S. Supreme Court decide? Okay, so what the U.S. Supreme Court did was two different things. They issued an order granting cert or certiorari, which means that they're going to hear the case on the merits. And they also issued an order that stayed the lower court's orders in part. And I know that that probably sounds a little weird to non-lawyers. So basically, we're just using that language because of where this case is procedurally. The lower courts issued injunctions stopping the executive order from going into effect. And so what the Supreme Court did was they stayed or stopped parts of those injunctions while they take up the case. So what what parts of the original order did the Supreme Court leave intact? What parts of the original order did the Supreme Court Uh, amend or edit? Basically, they said the executive order can stop you from entering the country or getting a visa, but only if you don't have a bona fide relationship to a person or entity in the U.S. This has already caused even more litigation because the government initially tried to say that extended family members, like grandparents and cousins and aunts and uncles, didn't count as bona fide family relationships. And basically what that means is that if someone has a family member or a job or is going to school or has a relationship like that, the ban cannot be applied to them. Luckily, the Supreme Court again stepped in. 
and Trump can no longer try to ban grandma. We'll get into more detail on that later. Can you explain to us what the argument is against the executive order? What, 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 in broad strokes, what generally have the states been arguing against the federal government up to this point? I know it's different region to region, but what, what has been some of the, the strongest argument against the executive order? The executive order is an attempt to ban an entire religion of people from coming to the U.S. Donald Trump has made his intentions to ban Muslims from our country very clear, uh, including while he was campaigning and still to this day. And that's just something that's not okay under the United States Constitution. Right. It, It affects First Amendment protections most obviously, right? Exactly. It's a violation of the First Amendment. All right. So, Jamie, now that the Supreme Court has ruled in preliminarily, who does the executive order apply to? Who is affected by this? So the only people it applies to are people who meet these three criteria, that they were outside of the U.S. on June 26th. They did not have a valid visa at 5 p.m. Eastern on January 27th. And they did not have a valid visa on June 29th. So under Muslim ban number one, as I understand it, there were people who were affected by it. But now that it's been amended and the Supreme Court has stayed parts of it and issued a ruling, there are people who the executive order no longer applies to. Who are those people? So it's a pretty large group of people. The executive order doesn't apply to you if... You're a U.S. citizen. You have a bona fide relationship with a person or entity in the U.S. You were in the U.S. on June 26, 2017. You've been granted asylum, have already been admitted as a refugee, were granted a withholding of removal, advanced parole, or protection under the Convention Against Torture, or you're a dual citizen and traveling on the passport of a country not covered by the ban. Okay, so if you're in that long list of people, if you're in one of those categories, you're basically good to go. You can come and go to the United States just as before? That's right. All right. Now, if you're from one of those targeted countries, one of those six countries, and you do not have a visa, what's going on? So if you have a visa appointment at the consulate, The first guidance said that it would not be canceled, although now we're hearing reports that some visa appointments are being canceled. So just keep an eye on it. But if you do not receive a notice that your appointment is canceled, it's not. Um, And you should still try to make a visa appointment with your consulate if you can. So at their interviews, people who are covered by the order will be expected to answer questions and show documentation of one of these bona fide relationships with someone or something in the U.S. So as we discussed a moment ago, there's controversy and disagreement about what actually constitutes a bona fide relationship. Obviously, some families are closer than others, but there's got to be a legal distinction between what constitutes a close family member and what is not a close family member. So where's the split? Where are we now with that? So, after some battling in the lower courts, the Supreme Court has said that parents, spouses, fiancés, daughters, sons, including daughters-in-law and sons-in-law, siblings, whether whole or half, grandparents, grandchildren, aunts, uncles, 
nieces, nephews, cousins, brothers-in-law, and sisters-in-law are all sufficient family relationships to avoid the executive order. I'm interested that they included fiancés in that list. That's uh, that's an interesting thing. I wonder if how they go about proving that or determining that. I'm not sure how they determine it, but they actually started to include fiancés after there was a lot of criticism when their initial releases said that the government was not going to include fiancés as close family. Jamie, you mentioned that persons who have relationships with entities are not affected by the ban any longer. What is an entity and what's a relationship with an entity? So an entity is, you know, a non-person that's in the U.S., So basically what the Supreme Court said was that if a person has a relationship with an institution, a school, a business, a nonprofit, etc. in the U.S. that has been formally documented and was formed in the ordinary course and not created for the purpose of evading the executive order. So the Supreme Court gave a couple of examples of this, um, such as a student who has been admitted to a U.S. educational institution, a worker who has accepted an offer of employment in the U.S., a lecturer who is invited to a United States audience, etc. And they said that relationships do not include relationships with groups who seek clients from these countries specifically in order to challenge the executive order. So basically they said your relationship, if it's not with a person, has to be formed outside of this executive order. You also mentioned a moment ago something about waivers, waivers for refugees and a possible cap. What's that about? Okay, so unfortunately, waivers are not going to be granted for refugees anymore because we've already hit the 50,000 cap that the executive order put on refugees. But as I mentioned earlier, refugees who have these bona fide relationships can still be admitted even though we hit this cap. Um, As far as travelers or potential immigrants from these six countries, waivers will be granted if these three conditions are met. Denying entry would pose an undue hardship, the foreign national's entry would not pose a threat to national security, and their entry is in the U.S.'s national interest. And so one example of this that you may have seen in the news was the Afghan all-girl robotics team that was trying to come here to compete in a that was trying to come here for an international competition, initially had their visas rejected because of the ban. Now they've been granted a waiver so that they can attend the competition. All right. So backing up for a minute, what, what's the counter argument here? What, what would someone who's in favor of this ban tell me with regard to national security concerns? Um, I'm not sure what they would tell you because there are no actual facts backing them up, but there are a group of people in this country who seem to think for some reason with no proof that banning individuals from these six targeted countries and refugees will somehow make our country safer. So what's the the answer to those people? What what does the data point to? I, I mean, they're just wrong. People from the targeted countries have killed zero Americans in terrorist attacks on U.S. soil since 1975. And the annual chance of an American dying in a terrorist attack committed by a refugee is approximately 1 in 3.6 billion. So about 1 divided by half the number of people on Earth. Yes. 
So I think that that sums up most of the legal status of what's going on now. We wanted to make kind of a factual episode just to give you guys this background. Later, we'll be circling back to it, and I'd like to talk to, you know, some people from the countries who have been affected and really dig down a little bit deeper. We're also going to try to talk to some legal experts who deal specifically in immigration law and have already begun fighting this in district courts around the country. And the ACLU is going to keep fighting this, too. We're part of the litigation team that's in front of the Supreme Court, and we'll keep you updated as things happen. So I just want to end by sharing one little story. On my vacation last week, I... On my last day, I decided to take an Uber to the airport because I wanted the experience of driving around London one more time. And as I was driving around, uh, I got to talking with my driver, who was a relatively young Muslim man, and he was explaining to me that he's got this seven-year-old daughter who really, really wants to come to the United States because she wants to visit Disneyland in Orlando, Florida. And they'd been talking about this for a while and planning their trip. Until one day the girl came home from school crying because her classmate, also seven years old, had told her that her family shouldn't go, uh, that it was unsafe for Muslims to come to the United States because Donald Trump hates Muslims. And it really impressed upon me that this is something that looks bad globally. Our global reputation is such that there are seven-year-olds around the world who understand or believe that they are not welcome here. And I told my driver, I said, well, you absolutely have to bring your daughter to Disney World now. You absolutely need to try to get your family over here, if only for the experience of seeing that most Americans are reasonable, most Americans do not hate Muslims, most Americans would welcome tourists from all over the world. You know, the day Trump signed the executive order was maybe the most embarrassed I've ever been of my country. But then later that day, to see all of the people who showed up at airports all around the country to protest and to fight and to try to represent people, that made me proud to be an American again. It's definitely been inspiring to see the legal community come forward and try to fight something that just on its face seems indefensible. And again, if there's anyone listening who themselves needs help, we recommend that you contact airport at refugeerights.org. Again, that's airport at refugeerights.org. And we'll include that as well as links to some of this other information in our blog post about the episode. All right. Well, thank you for listening. In the future, we're going to be putting up some more content. Uh, Soon we'll have an episode regarding the shift away from monetary bond in the criminal justice system, something a lot more in my wheelhouse. Thank you to everyone who helped put this together. Our audio and sound wizards are Brian Dezeal and The Pat Gilroy. Original music by Titans of Punk, a music production company by Pat Gilroy and Jeremy Galanis. Logo by Tim Ward. Thank A big thank you to all of the lawyers all around the country who are fighting the Muslim ban and at airports trying to help people out. You rock. If you're interested in donating to the ACLU of West Virginia, you can find us online at ACLUWB.org. That's also where we'll be posting blogs with additional information about each episode. And thanks. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. 
civil fights.